And now that we've had a reasonable amount of time to recover from the fallout of Armageddon 1999, we're back with the Rogue Retro Smackdown review, your usual host here, Scott McLeod. And today, to look through two of the two of the, the last few episodes of, uh, of 1999, I have joined with me another friend from uh, my past at Rastlin Boggs. You heard Sam a few weeks ago. And now I have the man who, who was the mind behind Rastlin Boggs for that fun but brief period of time it was around. It is uh, a man who I soon learned after meeting him had an unfortunate Nick person who he shared a, a surname with. As the one and only Mike Philpott. <laughs> Why do you have to bring the surname into it? <laughs> I thought it'd be a fun icebreaker, to be honest with you. Hey, I can, I can, I'll already diverging off this. I went to a um, a football match. I'm a Newcastle sport, and I went to a, a match in Birmingham. It was New- Birmingham versus Newcastle, and on the same day, it was Derby versus West Brom, and obviously Mick Philpott, who I'm sure you're alluding to there, was from Derby. Now, I was wearing a, foot, a Newcastle shirt with Phil Pot on the back, and obviously all the Derby fans came into the pub, and the chants were just horrendous aimed at me. I was like, well, this is a great start. <laughs> but on something more pleasant, mate, um, welcome to Rogue Opinions, welcome, welcome to this retro series. And as I mentioned before, it was you who gave me the opportunity to write for Rasslund Boggs. And, a case, and the idea that I joked about a few weeks ago, and that basically was a case of we need a Scottish person because we want someone to cover ICW. Yeah, I mean, Rustenbogs was like it was it was an amazing night. Two years, I guess. Obviously, like start, started me just like reviewing local promotions and just shows I was going to and things, and then um a few people came on board and i mean at one time we were really really smashing it and i just think it, it can't i think it just kind of ran its course and that's that that really did stem from me i just i just lost passion for writing completely i mean when i was writing up my notes for these two shows i remembered how easy it is for me to dissect a show and pick mm-hmm. apart key points and notes and i was like that's why i did it because i was good at it but i just didn't have the passion there anymore and i was i wasn't going to shows and and i and it was it was just one of those where i it, it didn't feel right me spearheading all of that when i wasn't actually doing anything doing anything for it so i mean i had a great i had a great time I made some good friends with it, obviously yourself included and um and yeah it's, it, it was a great platform for for sam obviously sam's doing great things now um taylor's doing really really good things obviously you're doing great things as well so yeah i'm just glad to have helped in that little way that i could yeah it was very much appreciated like so i i think i really developed my style of writing when i was doing articles there and i think it's quite ironic that i also did a lot of nxt uk content and we were recording this just a few days after nxt uk has done its first episode in about six months due to the pandemic yeah, yeah. So, I mean, obviously NXT UK is back now. I, I did catch that the other day and it was it just felt it felt a bit weird for me. <laughs> obviously, the whole no crowd thing is still you're still getting used to it. Obviously, I know Smackdown and Raw have got Thunderdome, which I, I'm not a fan of. Um, <laughs> I, I much prefer the kind of the way NXT and Raw were doing it with fans around the around like smashing on the perspective glass but it, it is what it is it, mm-hmm. nxt uk i mean is going to be it's going to be a tricky one obviously in the wake of everything that's come out over the summer um and obviously a lot of 
I mean, nobody that was on that show, I don't think, had been implicated in the whole speaking outside of things, but there was a lot of people close to them. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they handle that, essentially. So see what comes, I guess. Yeah, I think I may have spoke about it with Sam, but I think it would have been very difficult at first to continue if we if we were kept going and then the speaking out thing happened. That would have been very difficult for us to continue, uh, especially given that the primary like focus of wrestling blogs was to cover British wrestling. Yeah, I mean, British wrestling has just been a ripped limb from limb over these past couple of months. And I, I don't know if there's any way back from it. Because um, you've got, there's like, I see people tweeting about promotions that are horrendous, that have done horrendous, apparently done horrendous things, but then I see loads of people defending them. And I'm like, which side's right? So that's why I'm glad I've kind of distanced myself from it now. And I just look at it from a, as I say, from a distance. Mm-hmm. And something I'm always interested in when I have people on for this uh, retro series is getting to know how where people would have been running about this time period because for me and some other people I've had on a lot of them are watching back moments like this for the first time there are certain key moments they remember or they've heard about but some of this is for the first time whereas other people are reliving moments they'd have watched at the time where would you kind of fall where where would you have been kind of in wrestling fandom around the period of 99 that we're talking about so I would have been six years old at the time of the at the time of Armageddon and these episodes because um, I was born in November, um, and I remember liking wrestling when I was really when I was young. Um, but my dad, my dad hated it. He was like, he was always turn that crap off, all that kind of crap. Um, so I never, I know it was always I got to watch it whenever whenever he wasn't about, and I would catch like highlights on Sky Sports and things like that. But like my first proper introduction to it was. I think it probably would have been SmackDown 2 on the PS1. And I'm just looking now when that came out. So that came out in November 2000. So, I mean, I was watching bits of wrestling in kind of 98, 99. But then 2000 was when it really started to pick up. So I obviously managed to, like, over the course, obviously when I was picking it, like, playing that, all of the characters that were in SmackDown 2 were kind of, prominent the year before and it, and again what i've i know i've seen these i know i've watched armageddon but i didn't think i'd seen these two episodes i'd seen clips from them like uh, the 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 start of the the first episode we're going to review i knew about that kind of meeting they had but it was like i was looking i was looking at some of the characters i was like, oh yeah i forgot about him i think like one of them i picked out i was like oh shit is that midian I was like, I completely, I, I completely forgot about Midian. I only, I only think of Midian as naked Midian, <laughs> and he, and he wasn't in his kind of naked gear. Because oh yeah, I forgot about him. <laughs> yeah, he's been forgotten for forget about Midian. He's a very, he's been very forgetful on this series, other than his brief dalliance with the Godfather. Where yeah, I get no mercy. But yeah, it's a very interesting time. Uh, we're coming out of Armageddon, nineteen ninety nine. We're at the end. Officially, for the first time ever, Stephanie and Triple H became a, a unit, and now the what we know as the Man Helmsley era, which is technically still going now, both on camera and behind the scenes, is going on. So it's a very important moment, a very pivotal moment in the history of the company uh, when you join us here. Yeah, definitely, man, definitely. Mm-hmm. And it's quite interesting because on Raw we had Vince confront Triple H convinced that uh, Stephanie is, is somehow being manipulated by Triple H when she says reveals to him actually she's a key player and that she was with Triple H to get back at her dad 
uh, for something that wasn't isn't and talked about enough on this show and that like we were only six or seven months removed from 99 the moment that it's me austin it was me all along classic where, yeah where it's revealed that the person behind undertaker and his minions kidnapping stephanie was stephanie's own father and stephanie mentioned that that part of that was her motivation for getting back at her father and so to get back at him she went with triple h because she knows how much triple yeah uh, vince hates triple h i mean you yeah. think about it as, as the floor bowl as the stuff that stephanie does as a heel is and as much as triple h has done a great job making himself the top bad guy when you actually see this you kind of think like yeah vince you're in the wrong here mate <laughs> Yeah, you kidnapped your own daughter, buddy. You you don't really have a leg to stand on here. (laughs) (laughs) It's also a good job that they reveal that Stephanie was in on it the whole time because I think then that helped them in a weird grey area with the idea of like Triple H drugging Stephanie as it appeared when showed how he he married her. Yeah, with the the drive through, wasn't it? Yeah, but if like if we're to believe that she was in on it, I think that's them kind of covering themselves. Uh, from looking, from presenting a potentially problematic story. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That is uh, could be tricky to kind of deal with sponsors. Say so you've been running that you've got a, a kind of an abduction and a forced marriage storyline. Mm-hmm. Definitely, and then Vince is just heartbroken about all of this, and like watching Stephanie kissing Triple H, he just can't take it. He goes backstage and yells at his little daughter, "Get me the hell out of here!" I can't breathe the same air as that son of a bitch. And he and Shane get in the limo and leave. And it's very important this moment because we don't see Triple H and Vince again. Sorry, we don't see Shane and Vince again for a couple of months after this, which is very important because Vince, even before the Miss McMahon character and the screw job, he's been on TV for a long time as a commentator. So this is the, one of the biggest periods of a prolonged absence for Vince in a long time and also Shane for the last year since like Survivor Season 88 has been a prominent on-screen character so now they're both gone and now it looks like Seth realises well I'm a McMahon so I'm in charge so by extension Triple H is now in charge of the show It's it's weird how you look like 16, 17 years later and how it kind of mirrors itself isn't it? Mm-hmm yeah, like even in the build to Armageddon, Triple H talks about being part of the family and all that, and like there are a lot of things that they say that are so foreshadowing, I think, without them even realising it, because like, Triple H is still going with China in real life at this point. Yeah, so I, always, I always forget that China and Trips were actually a, a couple backstage, weren't they, originally? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for a good like first couple of months, even though they're spending all their time on screen together. Uh, the, the, people forget that this relationship between Stephanie and Triple H started out as purely a kayfabe thing before obviously being mirrored in real life and, and not the case of a real-life relationship being brought on screen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so Stephanie and Triple H are now running the company. But something that needs to be addressed here is that Shawn Michaels is still technically the commissioner of the WWF, but nobody addresses that. People seem different. I was going to say, because I, I haven't watched the Raws in between, but obviously I've watched the two Smackdowns. Does Shawn actually appear in this two-week period? 
Last time we saw Shawn Michaels was at the first ever SmackDown of it being like a weekly show where he tossed the rock the title and then he disappeared again. Obviously, you have to think about maybe in real life Shawn's issues. Oh yeah, of course. He hasn't found religion yet, but so like people need to address this because like Shawn technically remains commissioner till mid two thousand, where he's eventually replaced by uh, Mick Foley. But like to yeah. think that Shawn became commissioner in ninety eight, so he was commissioner technically for like a year, year and a half, and does very little when you actually think about it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's easy to forget uh, amongst this time that, like you say, like he was actually commissioner because he was, he was quite an uh, obviously apart from costing costing rock, it's quite forgettable in this time. And obviously, like you say, I know he had, he was um, battling his personal demons and, and things like that. But overall, it just kind of felt like a, a guess down to personal circumstances and a lack of fit. Just felt like a bit of a failed experiment. Mm-hmm. And he, he shows up when he refereed. He's, I'm pretty sure he's wearing a, re- a t-shirt advertising his uh, his wrestling academy. And so it basically feels like a case of like, hey, Sean, can you appear on the first episode of this new show? We need to like pop the ratings. Sean's like, okay, but I'm wearing this shirt so I can advertise my my new wrestling school, which apparently I was a very he was a very bad trainer and couldn't pass on what came to him very naturally, and. But that didn't stop Derby from saying that he trained Daniel Bryan. As I say, yeah, that's a very loose connection there, isn't it? Saying he trained Daniel Bryan. Mm-hmm. Well, it's actually a funny story. Paul London said in a podcast where he said he couldn't originally afford the uh, the entrance fee to the academy when Sean was taking over. Then Sean kind of stepped down and some other guy came in, I can't remember his name, to do the main training. And then that's when Paul London came in. But he told WWE in a, in a dot-com interview that he'd worked at that he trained at that academy and they published it as Shawn Michaels trained Paul London and Shawn Michaels actually <laughs> talked to him about it and Paul London felt embarrassed, like, oh, like, as if, like, Shawn's going to be angry, like, why the hell did you tell these people I trained you? But in actuality, uh, Shawn was actually feel, felt bad. He thought, did I train this guy and forget about him because he's actually really good? But then Paul London said, like, oh, no, I, I told them and they did this and they changed that and so it showed that Sean actually felt bad thinking he'd forgotten this guy. Uh, I mean, Paul London was incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's very underrated. Oh, 100%. 100%. And as you mentioned about the Raws, I do watch the Raws on, on this show. But kind of because I volunteered to do so one week and then suddenly fell into this habit of regularly, of regularly <laughs> doing that. I'm, I'm fine to do it now, but as soon as we get to the brand splitter, I'm, I'm, stop, I'm wrapping it up. But we get... Pretty much the entirety of Raw almost is recapped at the start of this week's match where it shows Vince leaving and then showing some of the decisions that Stephanie and Triple H made. Like There was a match between The Rock and Sock versus The Dudleys, which I mainly remember for a clip that I've seen in a, a Best of Rock video years ago where The Dudleys are, are where Bob is still doing his turn gimmick. He goes, we are the... Du- 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 and The Rock takes him out and goes, it, it, it doesn't matter. And just throw <laughs> punches, but and I've always like loved that small one, but I never knew where exactly, and it's, that was. It's I knew a weird it had to gimmick. Late ninety nine. Mm-hmm. Weird gimmick. Yeah, I don't think uh, Bob is going to have actually for much longer. I'm pretty sure at some point in the new year he somehow found a cure for his starting gimmick. But <laughs> I'm sure I heard. I'm sure I heard somewhere that 
they started the start thing at the start of the, the Dudley's era of ECW when there was like seven of them, all apparently from the same dad. But then when it became properly him and Devon, he just stopped it. And then when they came to WF, they started doing the starting thing again. So I'm sure whoever like saw their footage of them, they bring them and show Vince only saw it from their early run in ECW and assumed that the starting thing was a key part of the Dudley's gimmick. Yeah, I get that. I mean, I'm ju- I just had a quick look now, and I mean, I can't look at WrestleMania 2000. Obviously, you had the first triple threat um, match with a uh, triangle ladder match, not the TLC between Edge and Christian, Dudley Boys, and the Hardy Boys. Would that, that I would imagine, without kind of being 100% certain, I would have imagined that was the time that that would have been dropped and Bubba and Devon started getting taken out a little bit more seriously. Pretty sure they, they pretty sure I remember that Bubba cutting a promo on the crowd at the Rumble when they were going to be at MSG. And I'm pretty sure like the promo is more akin to like proper heel Bubba Ray of ECW and he's not stuttering. And yeah, so that, that kind of fits that time period then. Yeah, I think they're kind of, there is definitely a changeover going backstage. We've got new writers coming in and a new style of kind of putting together the show now that Vince Russo is uh, over in WCW. So I think one of the things decided, New Year, what we gonna, what's going to go? I thought, let's tell Bobby to stop bloody stuttering. <laughs> Crazy decision to have him stutter in the first place, even in ECW. I mean, actually, I guess in ECW it makes sense, like with their kind of backwards hillbilly kind of characters. But moving over to the main roster where you don't have that extended family of like, you didn't have Spike at the time, you didn't have Big Dick Dudley and all and all of those guys. It, it just didn't work. Mm-hmm. Speaking of ECW, I should just mention it here because across both these episodes, we do get these random flashes on the screen, those orange flashes. Okay, and, uh, right. I, I wasn't going crazy then because I made a note and I'm sure we'll get to it. But yeah, I made notes and I was like, I saw... It, obviously we'll get to it but during the when during christian's entrance in the first episode i think it was um yeah i know i noticed the little orange flash and i was like i recognize that mm-hmm. yeah it's been happening for a good few weeks now and is uh, teasing another ecw star who's going to be coming very very soon but i thought we should get that kind of out of the way but the the rock dudley's match has a really crap like D, weird dq kind of finish where I think it was because someone was using a chair, but he hadn't actually used it yet. But the referee still called for the bell. But then yeah. Triple H came out and made it no DQ. So Al Snow comes out at one point in a Vince mask to be the, the referee after the original referee is taken out. But then get taken, but he gets taken out. And it was very confusing. Like, cause I think Al, as the referee, counts the three and looks like the Dudleys win. But then the Rock and Mankind beat up the Dudleys and Al Snow afterwards. And then the original referee comes back in and The Rock gets the pin. So then The Rock and Mankind are declared the winners. And it was, yeah, like, it was crazy booking. Yeah. I mean, they, I mean, they tried to edit around it in the recap version to make it seem more, uh, seem more like less of a fuck up. But it was really weird. Like, the main thing I took away from it was that promo at the start because the match itself was very, very disappointing. Uh, we had Tori, Kane's girlfriend, being forced into a women's title match. You would think, well, maybe she should be happy about getting a women's title opportunity. No, she wouldn't be because it was in a, it took place in pudding. That was it. It was a pudding match. Yeah, they, they, I remember them recapping that. Yeah, she was told to do it. Otherwise, they would uh, 
Kane would suffer the consequences of it. And so she goes out to wrestle against Miss Kitty, who's now calling herself the cat. And then actually, it's like, yeah, Tori could actually win the title because she gets Miss Kitty in the pudding, which has her in an actual chokehold. And then out comes X-Pac in a scuba suit, uh, looking like <laughs> looking like Scuba Steve has fallen on hard times. So then he distracts Tori, allows Miss Kitty to get the win, or sorry, the cat, because after the match, Lillian Garcia again accidentally calls her Miss Kay. So the cat, being uh, you know the big old baby face that she is, grabs Lillian Garcia and shoves her in the pudding. And then Kane comes out and brawls with X-Pac and the Outlaws. And there's a pretty sure there's a funny moment where Kane gets a bit of the pudding all down his sleeve. So Kane with his big red and black suit with bloody patches of pudding all down it is weirdly funny to me. <laughs> I get that, bro. I get that. Kane goes to leave with Tori, but then Triple H tells, her, tells him to go back to the ring because he's got a triple threat match, which uh, turns out to be against both members of the New Age Outlaws. And for some reason, they still, they have, they have him with an assisted pile driver and both cover him, and both members of the Outlaws are declared the winner. So he might as well have just made it a handicap match rather than a regular triple threat. Uh, the Big Show defends the title against the big boss man and Albert, and a handicap match where apparently even if Albert gets the pin, it's the boss man that's champion. So Albert kind of gets screwed over in that regard. But, you know, people who listen to the Armageddon review that we did will know how shit the boss man big show match was. So this wasn't much better. I mean, for the for all of the build up, the big boss man and um, and show had like obviously you had the, the whole the casket incident. Mm hmm. Like that, that, that whole kind of build is iconic. Mm-hmm. If you th- if you think of um, some, if you th- if you think of like kind of car crash WWF TV from the night from the late nineties, you can imagine that boss man driving off with Big Show's father, well, so to say father in a in a casket, and Show like clinging to the top of it. It's 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 golden, but like you say, the match was just so near. Yeah, it was it was just there. Mm-hmm. You know, like all you wanted to see was Big Show kill Bossman, and you still managed somehow to fuck that up. I know, mate. I just, I just didn't understand it. Mm. Me but strange. Yeah, we also had the Hardys v Edge and Christian in a cage match, and the implication behind it being basically that Edge and Christian are both potential contenders to beat the Outlaws for the tag titles, so they wanted to take them out. But weirdly. The, the acolytes are the ones who are the number one contenders for Road Dog and Billy Gunn. They're going to fight them at the Rumble because they earned the shot in a, a battle royal Armageddon. But then, but they don't try to punish the the acolytes in any way, which is just bizarre to me. Which is another reason, as I mentioned on that podcast, which is why they should have just had the Hardys win. Because I just thought it made more sense. But you know, it looks so good to watch. You have a brushing leg sweep from Matt Hardy uh, off the top rope, off the side of the cage. You have Jeff going for Swanton and missing. Uh, there's a bit where uh, Christian and Matt hit the floor at the exact same time. So they decide, okay, well, we both at the same time. It basically, we'll continue with Edge and Jeff, and whoever them gets out, their team wins. And there's a bit where it's like Jeff is going to get out, but Christian manages to grab his leg while Edge slides out the door. So Christian cuts off Edge, uh, Jeff, allowing Edge to escape. So Edge and Christian win. Uh, what else is that? Oh, there's something that didn't get recapped in the hype package was a uh, GTV 
before Godfellas match when Mark Henry officially reveals that Mark Henry and Mae Young are in a relationship. So there's the beginning of that storyline. Oh, that classic storyline. Classic. <laughs> no, so I didn't realise GTV went on this bloody long. We're almost at the end of 99 and no closer to a reveal, even though we never got one. I know, it's bonkers, mate. Bonkers. <laughs> I mean, we did do a podcast ages ago, tr- years ago, trying to, what well, feels like years ago, trying to, to find out who it was that did it. And I'm pretty sure I definitely proved that it was probably Goldust behind it, primarily because I said, there's a G in it. Goldust begins with G, and Goldust likes filming people. Yeah, I don't disagree with you there, mate. Just to, just to save the long-winded inevitable like in-depth detective shit to go through i'm going to agree with you on that and say yeah 100 it was gold dust there is definitive proof there done <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and the main event this is just bizarre stephanie to say she wants to see outlaws wrestle again and defend her tag deal i don't think i've ever heard anyone want to hear the, the outlaws pulling double duty on the same show <laughs> Okay, I've got an opinion on that, and and purely just because watching these two episodes, I got a real like massive smack of nostalgia, and I I won't deny you the fact that Road Dog and Billy Gunn's in ring work wasn't amazing. It was it was good. It was good for the time. Mm-hmm. It was good for the time. They 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 served their place, but I mean the amount of not they didn't even generate heat. The amount of just energy they generated as soon as they stepped out onto that onto the ramp i didn't realize just how magnetic the pair of them were as soon as road dog got the mic in his hand the crowd were eating out of the palm of it it was insane mm-hmm. i i've had an issue with it was the last month or so because they're dx are maybe the top heel group given the triple h to the top heel and they're kind of his group and yet road dog still does the whole same you didn't or you didn't know stick and they wrestle boys and girls children of all ages yeah and they still wrestle kind of the same style of match they did before and so there's nothing different about them like at armageddon i thought they didn't do the whole long sticks i thought okay they've learned their heels so they take that thing away from everybody and don't let them chat along then they'll be booed and then right on SmackDown, no, they're right back to doing it again yeah i get that i do get that just no real continuity there hmm but so Triple H, so Stephanie says, I want to see Triple H wrestle and throw it in. All right, then. Uh, who's my, who's going to be my tag partner? Test. And <laughs> we, we've, we've been covering for the last month or so just the downfall and uh, what really killed Test's career prospects. And they don't get much better for Test over the next week because basically they always jump Test while he's, uh, while he, Test should be kind of saying, no, I don't want a team with Triple H. I want to fight Triple H because what the hell, I was supposed to marry Stephanie, what the hell are you two doing together? But then instead, Tess gets jumped by the outlaws and spends most of this time out getting cut off until he's finally built into the hot tide to tag Triple H and then Triple H attacks Tess and DX beat him down as Stephanie poses with DX doing the crotch drop as Raw goes off air. Who could have seen that coming? Shocker. <laughs> and then after all the, the recap of, of Raw that we get uh, we open the show backstage with a with a a, cross, a big meeting with the roster with Stephanie and Triple H, gonna you know, try and get everybody's attention 
and everybody's talking, and then the rest of the eggs all get up from the scene and turn and say, hey, shut up. Shut up. <laughs> and then sit back down. And uh, basically they try to act like, oh, we're, we're going to treat everybody fairly. We're going to show no favourites. Those who have, you who have had everything handed to you on a silver platter, we're going to take those silver platters away. And they book some of the matches for later on, like uh, Al Snow versus Mankind did a false count anywhere match. And they say that The Rock will get a shot at the WAF title against the Big Show. And they basically they welcome everybody to the McMahon-Helmsley era of the WAF. I'm looking through my notes and you've literally just listed off the first three things I said, including McMahon-Helmsley era. <laughs> well, there's not much else to really say in that, basically. Like for uh, those who sort of know where, where this is going, it's basically of it has begun. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, the the next note that I've got is obviously then it cuts to the ring and the, the as I mentioned earlier, SmackDown Two, know your role. That classic set with like the ironwork, like pre SmackDown fist. And I was just like, geez, that takes me back to my childhood playing on the PlayStation One with like my go to character was always Sa Rios. And that, that is a blast from the past because that was a wrestler that never really got his fair crack at the whip in WWF. But I think he's like a he's like a cult hero for anyone that played SmackDown too. And like, I don't think the WWF were happy or were keen on like updating their intro packages because for ages, like it just keeps annoying me that there's like four or five shots at least in this intro of Undertaker, and he's been gone since like this fifth episode of Smackdown since yeah. Forgiven and yet they haven't updated the intro whatsoever since the show started No I, I, I get that I mean, it's just sometimes you find WWE slash F could be really on point with their production and their editing and everything but other times they're just lazy and just let mm. things slip like you say with the Undertaker thing that's just it's just laziness Yep and we actually started with a match, really no long uh, in-ring promo that we maybe used to in modern day. Uh, we have the big boss man and Albert coming out, and boss man, uh, before he can really get started, he's interrupted by Chris Jericho, who I should also say uh, defended his Intercontinental Championship on uh, on Raw this past week against X-Pac, who basically came out talking about how much, unlike Jericho, he knows how to treat a lady. Uh, which is also tongue in cheek because he's he's kicked Tori in the face at least twice in the last month or so. Spoiler alert: there's more to come. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I literally put in the in my notes. Xbox cuts a crap promo saying he knows how to treat women, and then that sets up an icy title match between Jericho and and Xbox, which is it's a decent enough match. You know, Xbox was that kind of worker they'd always throw in. Take a show that people can go, and uh, yeah, he was, he was always like the measuring stick, wasn't he? Yeah. Because hang on, when was the when was the Jericho X Pac match? I may be getting lost here because I thought are we are you talking about another episode or this episode? No, I'm uh, just like just mentioning because uh, we got basically most of gotcha. Raw. Gotcha. You threw me off there. You threw me. So, <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just mentioning it because there's a similar finish. To that, then what's going to happen with Jericho's match here? But I think they got they got they did they executed it a lot better on SmackDown than they did on Raw. So I'm just mentioning that what gotcha. happened on Raw. But the thing with Xbox, I wanted to say also is that it's funny when he leaves the WF in '96 after being one, two, three kid. He looks so young and comes back like two years later, 
and looking like he's finally hit puberty, like he's aged ten years. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like you look back at that, like his arguably his defining performance against um, against Razor, mm-hmm. and he is like the baby face of all baby faces, and he comes back as like almost looking like a bit of a grizzled vet. It's like what's going on here? <laughs> and it's weird because China and Kay come out during the match on Raw. Xbox in the walls of Jericho. He's tapping out. But China's distracting the ref when it looks like she wants to help Jericho because after Armageddon, they kind of look like they were showing respect to each other. And uh, China then just hits the ref and gives Jericho the win by DQ, uh, even though Jericho had the match won before China got involved. Uh, so it looks like there's a weird, relation, a weird wrinkle in the relationship between China and Jericho. And China's going to get involved later on in the match, so we're better to see with Jericho, but. I think they execute it a lot better than they did here in Raw. It's the case of like, it was that confusing that even JR and King clearly didn't know what was supposed to happen. Like, they're just like, what, what, what is, what is this? What is China supposed to do out here? What was she doing trying to help Jericho? Like, well, you're maybe telling us that. Yeah, I know. It was a strange one. It was a strange one. Mm-hmm. So before like Paul and King really say anything, Jericho comes out. He just starts berating them. I think officially Jericho's now a face uh, because in this video with China, I mean, he was maybe the bad guy. He was just clearly so much more charismatic that the fans just cheered for him. So they say he's just going to go full full on with the face Jericho. He calls him, he calls the Intercontinental title the Interchristinental title. I loved that line. I absolutely loved that line. <laughs> and he basically challenges either one of Bothman or Albatra a non-title match. Albert kind of accepts it, and then again, China gets involved. Bossman tries to pass the nightstick into Albert, but China gets it. She uses that behind the rest back to help Jericho get the win. So I think this is a similar thing to what was meant to happen on Raw. But again, execution is all the difference. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a couple of other things I picked up on that match, the... Like you saying about Jericho turning into a babyface, it was like my the the line that I've noted that he said was like my mum always said to me, if you can't say anything nice, then don't say anything at all. So I'm saying to you, if you can't say anything entertaining, then shut the hell up, <laughs> which I loved. And I also I also noted like two a couple of other bits like Albert in this match moved great for I, I always forget how good he was like. He he was insane. He was he moved so well in this match for such a big dude, and then I I I think oh yeah he was a massive star over in Japan years later, and then also there's like the little bit in the middle of the match where it cuts to Trips and Steph drinking their champagne backstage, like both of them confused to go. It's just saying who booked this? Did you book this? No, I didn't. Did you? And I was like, uh, it felt that felt a bit weird, a bit misplaced, purely because I thought if you two are like being the godfathers of SmackDown and Raw in this McMahon Helmsley era, shouldn't you have full control over everything? And then if there is a match that's going on that you didn't book, shouldn't you want, wouldn't you want to know what was actually going on as opposed to just going, who booked this? Was it you? No. And then just carry on drinking your champagne. Yeah, I think the, it confused me as well because they're asking who booked this. Like, surely the point of the segment is that Bossman and Albert were cutting a promo. Jericho came out and basically impromptu challenged either of them to a match then and there. So really nobody booked it. If anyone booked it, like it was Jericho. So like, I don't yeah. know why. Because like, really, originally in Kayfabe, it was booked as Bossman and Albert cutting a promo. So really, like, they should know 
better than to question who put this when it basically was the guys taking it upon themselves to challenge to just each other. crack on, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, it was there was a lot of stuff about between Stephanie and Triple H that seemed really misplaced, especially for how early into their partnership they are. Like, yeah, and I mean, like, like this is a continuing theme throughout the night. Like, I know obviously the focus is on the McMahon Helms era, and I understand that, and they want to put everything on it. But the amount of cutaways to them this night was just ridiculous. Because post match, it cut as soon as the match is done, and obviously China's hit Bossman with the low blow, and Jericho gets the lion salt for the win. It cuts straight afterwards to her saying that she thinks Kurt is cute and wants to go check on Kurt and make sure he's all right. And Triple H won't let her go. And it was like, what? I just didn't under... It, it's, it just... It, it all felt very weird for me. Like, very... Like, they were trying too much. Yeah. And then, like, you have Triple H accidentally insulting Stephanie. Like, she asked him, like, what do you think China was thinking going out there? And Triple H was, I never knew what China was thinking. Or any woman, for that matter. And then she oh, I, yeah, of like, course, that line. <laughs> like, like, what are you supposed to do? And she just needs to go out and watch... Kurt Angle and I think it's very interesting because Kurt Angle, Triple H and Stephanie will be involved in a very memorable storyline in two, late 2000. Actually, yeah. I don't think I don't know what plans they had for that at this point so it's very interesting to see that starting but then also Triple H is very much against her going out there when he discovered Kurt, as Kurt Angle's opponent. I was going to say yeah and he says he doesn't trust him that one, which, which, is, which is understandable. Well, yeah, because obviously Tess should be furious after what Stephanie and DX did to him uh, all in Raw. And Stephanie does join King and Michael Cole for commentary during the match. And like, obviously her being there distracts Tess, which uh, allows Angle to get the early advantage. And also, I like that Stephanie kind of goes back to when she was a face with Tess. Sarah Law would take every opportunity to say that how Stephanie can do so much better and like she's making the biggest mistake of her life marrying Tess. And then he's there basically sucking up to her. Oh, like, that, oh, yeah. yeah, I've made a note of that. And she just basically calls him out on it, like, well, you've certainly changed your tone of performance as the test. You said this, that, and the next thing. And then he's trying to, like, backtrack so quickly that he almost falls on his ass. Oh, no. Another thing, then, the refs from this time. Obviously, uh, for, for me, this is go- the first time going back and watching, like, old school, the older school WWE and, like, seeing Teddy Long and, in the previous match, Tim White. And whenever I see Tim White, I think of those skits with Josh Matthews in like oh. 2004, 2005. And I look at them now and I'm like, holy shit, that was dark. That was really dark. Yeah, very much. Uh, it's always, it always makes me slightly chuckle whenever not only I see Taylor as a referee, but if he's refereeing a tag team match. Oh, a holla holla player. Or, <laughs> or, if, he's re- or if, he, if he ever refed an Undertaker match. That would just be the epitome of it, of it going full circle. Yeah, it definitely would be. So the story really is here that uh, Tess keeps getting distracted by Stephanie's presence whenever he, he gains some sort of momentum. But we always get seeing in Tess matches like just how good he actually is when he probably gets going with like the power moves that he's able to pull one, out. one of the most underutilised and underused big men of that era like, and again I made a note of just how good he looked but he looked incredible so crisp hitting his big power moves I know Kurt is a like obviously this is quite early into Kurt's kind of tenure with WWE but Kurt was no slouch in this so obviously you've got a factor in that 
to get a good match and make someone look good, you've got to have a good opponent. But Tess looked incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've been talking about Rich actually and how badly Tess was booked on this podcast till I'm, I'm blue in the face. I don't think, I think I'm running out of ways to complain about how they handled Tess. But if you if people want to hear me say more about Tess, just listen back to the stuff I've said in the past. But no, like, I'm, I'm fully on board with that, mate. Mass, I'm massive fan of Tess. Massive, like the, massive fan. The gut wrench like you get, like when the guy bends over, then he manages to grab him and kind of basically deadlift him. Oh, insane power! And then Stephanie ran like uses herself in contrary as Tess is doing like the ten fists in the corner, and Stephanie tells the timekeeper to disqualify, ring the bell, and tells the referee to award this match to Kurt by DQ. Tess is using a closed fist. Yeah, and then King was like, well, I can't remember if it was King or Cole. Um, we're just like, but they do this every week. Oh, and just obviously re- really playing into the fact that Stephanie was abusing her position there, which which made sense there. Yeah, but well, actually when he's saying like, but everybody used to close to this, basically talking about how we in the WF don't care about rules. What, what <laughs> you for following rules? You're breaking the fourth wall there, mate. <laughs> and then Tess, all stepping up the ramp, basically getting on her face, yelling, like, what the hell are you thinking? What are you doing getting involved in there? And, and then that leads to the Outlaws and the rest of DX getting involved and attacking the uh, test. And test is had a thing where every time he gets up, he keeps getting his nose broken. Nose broken. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> that uh, man's nose must be made of glass. I know. like He's like Mr. Glass from the fucking Unbreakable films. Let's <laughs> say any time he gets at least smacked in the face, like, Oh my god, Tess, what about his nose? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he cracks it. That, yeah, no, knowing the backstory of like Tess having his nose broken two, three times prior, that did make me chuckle of bang, one shot, pop. I mean, it's great. It's great work from DX and, and, and Outdoors and whatever just to go for his nose. If they know it's made of glass, then that's just, that's just solid work. And it's ironic that Triple H, the man with the biggest nose in all of wrestling, is, is the one who then re-breaks Tess's nose here, using, I think, his wedding ring as well. Yeah. So, again, Tess, in the span of, well, in kayfabe, 48 hours in reality, within within a couple of days, just like just made to look like an arsehole yet again. And the annoying thing is that soon, and it is, pretty much as soon as the new year starts, Triple H is into another feud, we all fondly remember, but it's being set up here as if to say, like, well, you got to think eventually Tess will get his revenge. No, no, Triple H with that golden shovel from early days, bro. <laughs> yep. And then backstage, Tess is being helped onto a stretcher. I'm thinking for having a broken nose. Like, I did. You know what? I thought. I thought that. Like the amount of paramedics that were around, and then as we'll get onto, I'm sure in a second. Um, Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe, like helping him out. Obviously, you've got two of the senior officials, like or two of the senior backstage producers, and then you've got all like I think I counted about four EMTs. There. I was like, "Geez, Mike, my, my man's only got a broken nose. Chill." Mm-hmm. And basically, they're they're punished. The students are punished by Stephanie for showing compassion to Tess. And they get told, okay, it's going to be Patterson and Briscoe versus the New Age Outlaws for the tag team titles. <laughs> and 
first time for school or just blue. Like, what the hell do you mean us? Like, we can't wrestle. We're we're officials and. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that 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 was interesting. I mean, I personally, when when the, like obviously rewatching this, when I saw it and I thought, oh yeah, that's going to be great. It's either going to be because I, I I didn't know the result going into a fir- into the second week because I was like, right, I'm going to leave it to not look ahead, see what happens, and be surprised by it. And I was thinking shit they could actually win this they could pull off a massive swerve here and, and we'll get to the result later but I, I was genuinely looking for looking forward to that match later on in the night yeah i was very much looking forward to it because it can be it can go very much either way when you put patterson and briscoe in the ring as a match they'll have next year will uh will surely prove but coming up next we have uh, matt hardy versus jeff hardy uh, the brothers of all still come out together with Terry at the start of the match. And considering that Matt and Jeff Hardy have a history of not putting on good matches against each other despite being brothers and wrestling since their childhood, this is actually a lot better than I thought it would be. I I thought it was a great match, personally. Um, a, cu- a couple of notes that I made. So Je- uh, Matt hit a... Uh, Jeff went to, like... Suplex. Jeff was Jeff and Matt were on the outside, and Jeff went to suplex Matt that looked to look onto their ring apron. Matt bounced off back first off of the ropes, and then DDT'd Jeff onto the floor. That looked friggin' sick. I was like, "That's that, I I hadn't seen that move ever. I don't think. I thought that looked unreal." <coughs> This is definitely their best non-broken universe, non-deletion match I think they've ever had together. Yeah, definitely, mate, definitely. Because it does start very friendly. They were both fan favourites, but then they kind of get into a bit of a shoving match. They both take their T-shirts off, as you can hear a big loud shriek from the from the females in attendance. Yeah, and, ter- and then you get Terry trying to stop them, saying, you don't need to do this, sort of thing. And it was like, and then, yeah, like you say, it started off really technical, like some really clean wrestling. And then it just broke down to the two of them going, you know what, fuck this, let's just let's just go hell for leather. And, want, and each one trying to one-up each other. And then you had that spot you mentioned, I've also made a note of it. Yeah, if it's a swanton, but weirdly, he uses a 450 sometimes as well. And the Swanton just seems to be just another move. It's not his main finisher move yet. Because yeah, I noticed that. And I, I also noticed that they don't refer to it as a Swanton. Like, and go, like just before this match, they had the, the slam of the week little vignette. <laughs> and it was the um, the missed Swanton from the cage in from Raw the week the couple of days prior. And they, they called it a Senton then. And I thought, it's not a Senton, it's the Swanton bomb. And it, obviously at that point, it just hadn't been coined. Yeah, probably not. And it also, I should have mentioned that Keith Mitch, shortly after it, he misses that spot, uh, a rear, rear spot from Edge. Edge cleans the cage and then hits a corkscrew kind of corkscrew kind of cross body on a man Christian, which is a rare thing to see from him at that time. Uh, Matt was Jeff up on the top rope for like in like a suplex position, then plants a kind of face first on either Matt. Jeff goes for a four fifty. Matt moves, but Jeff lands on his feet but then immediately favours the knee. Matt sneaks up behind him with a weird-looking neckbreaker. And <laughs> you, like, hang on, hang on. I've written these exact words. Jeff misses Swanton. Matt hits weird neckbreaker. <laughs> what, the f- what the fuck is that move? I hate... I looked at it and I went, what is that? 
feel like Jeff doesn't use the twist of fate as much. It's more so Matt hitting the twist of fate at this point, and then Jeff does the swan on. So Matt they even use like the twist of fate, which would be a move associated with both guys going forward. He just like it's like this fear like oh they're just trying any move like. I think we're a couple of years away from the side effect being a thing. So basically, Matt's just looking for his own particular finishing move. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, but, but cool. the neck breaker looked awful. <laughs> like, it, it looked horrendous, mate. I looked at it and I, I, I just, as I say, I put Matt hits weird neck breaker. And it just, it didn't look impactful. It didn't look like a match finisher. And I was just like, what? Like, you remember that clip from NXT, the weird Byron Saxon looking finisher move? Like, oh, God, like, yeah. you know, weird, weird leg sweep thing. That's what it kind of looks like, in a sense, I think. So, yeah, it looks like it doesn't have that much impact. But, literally, after the match, Matt and Jeff, they hug it out. They're all fine. And during the match, Lawler's been kind of disputing Cole's claims that this is just another ploy by Stephanie and Triple H to pit these two against each other and not make them contenders for the outlaws. And then Lawler says to Cole, you want to be careful, or sooner or later they might make us fight each other. And I thought, no, no, I can't wait till years later. you got to save that kind of feud for WrestleMania, brother. Oh, that, is, that, was, that was a big money feud there, mate. I mean, Michael Cole in the, in the wrestling gear and the... Um, oh, hang on, my smoke alarm's going off. Hang on. <laughs> this is chaos. Jeez, thanks, buddy. There you go. Sorted. I don't know why that was going off. I thought right to censor were coming in. <laughs> Big uh, old um, Val Venus and all the crew are coming out. No, it was, um, yeah, like what I was saying, you've obviously got Cole in his proper wrestling attire, like amateur wrestling attire with the head the headpiece on. Uh, I, I always, whenever I think of Cole wrestling, I always think of the Rumble when um, Karma or Awesome Kong comes out. And he absolutely <laughs> shits himself. I love that clip. Unbelievable. But, uh, we got backstage to Tori yelling at Stephanie and Triple H after what they did on Raw. And Stephanie then says she'll teach Tori some respect. So tonight it's going to be Stephanie versus Tori in a match. But Triple H does not approve of this. But we'll see that things aren't as quite as they seem. When uh, the Moon Street Posse come in, I should mention the got a similar treatment to Jerry Lawler where in the past the posse hadn't been nice to Steph when she was with Tess so she punished them on Raw by putting them in a match with the Acolytes where the Acolytes just murdered them and so the Mutual Posse were there to try and make amends and then Triple H kind of uh, uh, for, or for alludes to something that they can do for them to try and make up for it and we got back from the break where it's maybe Tony versus Stephanie but then we see Kane backstage watching the match, and then the Mean Street Posse jump Kane. <sighs> mean Street Posse. What a throwback. I know. It's, it's weird because, like, Bulldog, very Bulldog went around, and they've kind of been his lackeys for the last couple of months. And then at Armageddon, the Bulldog dropped the European title to Val Venus, and we haven't seen the Bulldog in these last two weeks since. Which I'm not entirely complaining about because he's been shite, but like, it's like. No, I get that. It's like the posse decided, oh well, uh, we helped him get the European title, he's lost it now, fuck it, let's, let's find someone else to latch on to. So, the posse, they take out Kane with 
all sorts of weapons backstage. And then Story goes to leave to take on the game, but then Stephanie calls her back and says, actually, there's been a change of plan. Here's your new opponent, and it's X-Pac. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, that was... Uh... That was what I alluded to earlier, where I said that um, that wouldn't be the first, that wouldn't be the last time that X Pac smacks Tory. Oh, I hate X Pac now. I, I fucking hate him. Like th- this is the this is X Pac heat coming up right here because you know he just gets in there. Triple H holds Tory in the corner to let X Pac do the Bronco Buster. He hits the X Factor and then does this weird mountain pin. Oh, that was oh. creepy. Oh yeah, it was. It was very like creepy. he properly like leches out, like kneels on top of it with his like crotch first. I was like, oh, that's a bit. Not me. Yeah, I do like that they see Stephanie getting involved like physically because obviously Vince has had matches, Shane's had matches. Stephanie will eventually have a, a couple of matches in her career. But obviously not yet. So it was interesting that early on in her time as a full-time like, on-screen figure, the teeth definitely getting into a ring. I mean, it was obvious that she was never going to wrestle that night mm-hmm. because I think it was King that mentioned it. She was like, she she was like, she's she's going to wrestle in her uh, in her leather skirt, and I was like, well, obviously not. But I I, I, I did I didn't expect X Park. Yeah, I thought it'd be okay. I I and I also did, I, I didn't think it'd be China. But then again, I didn't know who it because obviously she's got her um, thinking on with Jericho and the cat, and I was like, who could it be? And then obviously X Pac came out. I went, oh, okay, as you do. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I don't think we missed out on much not getting Stephanie versus Tori because well, Tori is okay for the time period as a wrestler, and Stephanie, I don't think was ever properly trained in comparison to like say Shane or whatever. So. I don't think we were missing out much on seeing Stephanie, especially at this no, point. No, definitely agree. So, you know, see, so we got the Xbox thing, this thing with Kane is continuing. And Kane, we see during the break, he left with Tory, and the posse are feeling all happy for themselves. But then Triple H is like, well, no, you didn't. You failed because clearly Kane was able to leave under his own power, so you didn't do that good of a job. So they get given another match, I can say, accolades. <laughs> You gotta, you gotta love the acolyte. I mean, acolytes, APA, Bradshaw, whatever you want to call them, they were incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not quite the APA yet, but it, it won't be too. No, long. I know, but yeah, exactly. Definitely, by the time we get to WrestleMania, they will be the APA. But then we see it's weird because then Al Snow comes out of the locker room saying he's gonna, he's asking for help in his match with with Mankind. He's gonna lure him back here and get some help. And it's at the locker room says DX on the side, but like, surely wherever the DX locker room should be the room that Stephanie and Triple H are in. And we just cut away from Stephanie and Triple H's locker room. So I thought our Xbox and Outlaw has been forced to change elsewhere from Stephanie and Triple H. I mean, that would make sense because Steph and Triple H hold themselves in that higher regard and they, they're reserving that room for drinking their champagne and whatever. Yeah. Uh, then we have Al Snow versus Mankind, a false count anywhere match building from when Al Snow threw Mankind's autobiography in the trash and tried to pin it on The Rock because he was trying to prove that he's a better friend than The Rock. And then obviously it all came out 
because Mankind chose the Rock over Al Snow, and then Al Snow interfered in the Rock and Socks tag opportunity at uh, Armageddon. And you can tell Al Snow's a baddie now because he's he's got his jet black hair and his t-shirt is black. And obviously black, 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 black in wrestling, black attire means bad. Mm-hmm. He used to wear a white, white and black version, but now it's a black and white version of his gear. That's how you know he's a he's evil now. Like um, face and face NWO would have been a white a white t-shirt with a black logo. Yeah. So and I don't know if it's this week or next week, but then Arsenal gets the uh, some new heel like entrance music. because uh, I was like, it wouldn't make sense for him to still have that music there. What does everybody want? It's ne- so, next week. Next week the, the yeah. music changes, I noticed that. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a fairly decent you know, weapon based match because before Armageddon, Mankey had a match with Arsenal where at first he didn't want to use any weapons because he didn't want to hurt Al. He still considered him his friend. And uh, clearly, after what happened to Armageddon, he has no qualms with that. He's now just like, ah, oh, fuck you, Al. Just wailing on him with a chair. And I mean, then the, you've got the spot where Snow's got a, you got Snow with a baseball bat. And he goes to absolutely, like on the outside of the ring, he goes to absolutely crack Foley in the head and like miss it, obviously misses him and cracks the ring post and the bat just snaps in half. And I was like, there was part of me that was like, was that a gimmicked baseball bat or was that a legit baseball bat? And that was the spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a spot where they go flying over the announce table and because it's false count hour, you have Al stretched across the, the two commentator chairs and, that, and Mankind tries to pin him from that position. Uh, they got these metal like cookie sheets uh, that Al uses as weapons. There's even a street sign that McFoley hits a DDT onto, and then Al still tries to bring out a ball and ball as a weapon. Hey, you can't forget that Al Snow puts a bowling shirt on before he does it. Proper preparation. I'm surprised he didn't try and change his wrestling bits for bowling shoes as well. Go so hog. <laughs> put the put the climb shoes on. <laughs> and unfortunately Al takes too long and ends up paying for it and he ends up taking the brunt of the uh, the bowling ball straight into the gonads yep uh, weirdly though even though he still has head he's using all these sorts of weapons and never tries to use head as a weapon because like, even though he's a heel now hitting someone at a full force with a mannequin head still has to hurt I think I personally think it's more that he doesn't want to use head because head is his best friend. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's the that's the vibe I got from it. I mean, I may be wrong, but we'll never know. Al Snow was a a different character, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, I, I get where you're coming from in that regard. Uh, they end up brawling up the ramp. There's a suplex on the the metal ramp, and eventually they go all to the back where they come to that same DX blocker room, and they both fight inside. And then Al Snow ends up falling out of the locker room. Mankind falls on the cover, pins him, and then the rock emerges from the uh, the locker room holding a steel chair. Also, he also wanted to get the bit of revenge on Al Snow, so Mankind wins. Were you confused by the whole? Suddenly, the rock appears in this DX locker room. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. I mean, it was a, it was a, if you were taking it at the time, you, it's a great swerve. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have you wouldn't have expected it because like you you and I obviously both having written and spoke about wrestling countless times, 
we look at different we look at things differently and try to try and overanalyze it like you say like with dx getting changed in a different room but if you were taking that at face value of that is dx's locker room because it says dx on the room and then the rock comes out and then the dx sign falls off and it says the rock it's, it's brilliant for that for that time period where people weren't reading too much into it yeah i thought that i thought that worked brilliantly because I, I was like oh yeah of course yeah that was that was cool yeah, I don't think it's worth us trying to analyze, like, was this a different room that happened to have DX on it with the rock inside D- hiding in DX's locker room? Because I don't think there was that much thought put into it. I think it was just a case of, yes, swerve the rock's here because the rock hates Al Snow as well and the rock's angry and he's he's doing something nice for for Mankind for helping him get the win. Because obviously it's a feel good win because obviously Mankind should have got the win over Al Snow. Yeah, definitely. Uh, backstage, Patterson does not want to go through with this match against the New Age Outlaws, but Briscoe is trying to fire him up. Like, come on, man! Like, you were the first ever Intercontinental Champion, and like, like that was thirty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and Briscoe's like, "We'll be fine. We'll get. We'll, we, we can still take him." Uh, and then we have another um, in very commas brother versus brother match with uh, Edge taking on Christian. Yeah. All trying to tell us that they're brothers. They're, they're obviously brothers. Because you're tag team partners, you are automatically brothers. Yeah, they're both Canadian. They have long hair. They must be related. 100%, without question. But then uh, we get the thing that I mentioned earlier, the big the tease during Christian's entrance with with Christian's big, uh, with Christian's music that you give your career wrestler on WAF No Mercy. Uh, you have the the tees, the arena covered in orange lights, and then you. What's different from the last few times we've heard it is you hear the somebody whispering "survive," which uh, I don't know who who that could possibly be in reference to. I think we're just gonna have to wait until see how that plays out, mate. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, if I'm honest, I think it's going to be a wrestler that's going to have a massive impact in the WWF in the coming weeks, months. Um, and I think they're going to be a future world champion. I definitely think, I mean, with all this hype they're giving, they surely they'd bring this person and push them to the moon. A hundred percent. You don't put this kind of effort into somebody and not push them to the moon and give them every title opportunity under the sun. You just don't do that. Of course, you know, you wouldn't drop them. That would be a massive weight, you know, a massive dropping of the ball. That would be. Especially not if it is, well, as I've heard rumours, one of the, the biggest stars of a, a rival slash kind of partner company that has really helped form and define a generation of wrestling within that company. Mm-hmm. Someone who I'm pretty sure is still going at the top level today. You could say that in a way, yeah. I, I don't disagree. <laughs> but we'll move on to the actual match itself. How do you think this match compares between Edge and Christian as compared to the Hardys match? Because I don't think Edge and Christian have had have wrestled each other as many times as Matt and Jeff have. So I've I, honestly, I've not really got any notes on this. Um, I've my well, my exact notes is standard match between the two. It didn't really, it didn't jump out at me thinking, oh shit, this is good. The thing that annoyed me was King on commentary. He was h- horrendous. I've all, I've never fully realised just how bad Jerry the King Lawler is on commentary, like. He makes every kind of appalling reference under the sun, barely calls a match, 
And I, I just didn't realise how much I disliked him until now. And I look back at like watching how I mean, watched WWE recently, obviously when he kind of made his resurgence, I'm like, he is shit. He's awful. <laughs> I mean, he's described him from the, the match of the century, you know, Christian Cage taking on Sexton Hardcastle on WRF television. <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, so there was nothing, I've not really got any, as I say, not got really any notes from the match. And Edge wins after kind of a, a series of roll-ups, like kind of sunset flipped style roll-ups. Was it a quick count? I'll talk about the quickly in the match. Uh, I think these guys have a very different style from Matt and Jeff. They don't do as many flips, but they still oh, yeah. are quicker than most people you'll see. And they do actually, like, do tease each other's like finishers and they managed to counter them so neither man's finisher actually looks weak I think the, well, the issue was Christian went for a roll up, referee counts one and then Edge rolls back into a roll up on his own but the referee doesn't start a new count he just so, Okay so that's what it was then that's what it was then I think it was very much a referee fuck up yeah, I put, I've put i written potential botched finish. I thought it was really weird finish. Because, I mean, the match itself was good. As I say, nothing about it really stood out to me as being, whoa, this is great. Um, but, yeah, and then, obviously, they had a show of respect post-match, and it was it was all very nice. Yeah, I think, the unfortunately, the finish took away from this match. Obviously, I didn't notice it at first. I had to rewind this once or twice before I seen what actually went wrong. And what's interesting is Edge won this match, but and it was Matt that won the the previous brother v brother match. I assumed that oh Jeff and Edge will win their respective matches because it was clear early on that both Jeff and Edge were the people in their respective tag teams that were seen uh, as the bigger deal. Yeah, when they eventually were going to go in singles, they were seen as the bigger stars. Even though Matt and Matt and Christian were going to big things themselves. It was clear from the off that WWE always had more faith in Edge and Jeff. Yeah, can't disagree with that. Yeah, but I think they, they did, it was a right decision to have Matt win because I think it made Matt look like the smarter of the two brothers in their match. And then it made more sense for Edge to win against Christian. Because I think Edge had some time on his own before Christian came in, so Edge is more proven as a singles guy at this point than, than Christian is. And it makes complete sense. And uh, the posse, go back to the posse, where they try to leave the building, but they get caught by Stephanie and Triple H. And they, it's like, oh, no, we're just there. Uh, we're putting our bags in the car for later. It's like, oh, yeah, 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 right. Get back in there. Your match is up next. And then we get the uh, the lug boot of the week. And um, it's not even a boot. It's like just repeated shots of a really wicked looking like unprotected chair shot that one of the ac- one of the acolytes gives to a member of the Meat Street Posse from Raw. I did, I yeah, I didn't like that. I, I look back at the unprotected chair shots now and I cringe. I'm like, no, not for me. It was knowing what we know now. They, they show the same chair shot six times from different angles, and then you go, "That was your lug but of the week." <laughs> and then this match. Like the athletes obviously get a big response, but more so here because I believe there were somewhere in Florida where Ron Simmons used to play football. Yes, so they get so, a yeah. big response. And weirdly, they barely do anything. They had a few moves, big spine buster from Ron Simmons. He pins Rodney, but then they just keep beating up the the more posse afterwards, like hitting them with 
table with a steel step sitting with chairs. They had a double power bomb on one member at one point. It's it's just ugly. Yeah, it it wasn't anything special. It was just a straight squash and beat down for the acolytes on Mean Street Posse. Nothing more to write home about there. Uh, yeah, that really much to write home about. This next bit, I don't even know what the point of this was. They could have just done this on Raw. Uh, JR is getting interviewed, asking his thoughts about the Stephanie Triple H situation. And basically, he said, like, he's embarrassed for the whole McMahon family. He's embarrassed for the WRF of the way Stephanie and Triple H are, are running things. And then he gets chewed out by Stephanie and Triple H. And then, weirdly, he almost takes a bump after Stephanie slaps him. I mean, she connected clean on the slap. I rewind that slap to see how well she connected. And she, yeah, she she knocked him. And obviously, that stems from JR, JR saying that Stephanie was acting like a witch, but not a witch. Something that rhymes with witch and begins with a B. And then Stephanie was was like demanding to hear what he said to her. And he was like, I didn't say anything, Stephanie. I didn't call you anything. She was like, say it. And then just whacked him across the face. And then... Yeah, and then he gets sent out of Stephanie and Triple H's champagne room. <laughs> yeah, it was just, I just it, also we should mention it because also why we care everything that happened, but I don't have any thoughts on it because, again, this could have just been done on Raw and nothing would have been any different. No, I get that. Anyway, moving on to something more worth, more worth talking about, we have Kishi and Too Cool taking on the Hollies and Viscera. Uh, this also stemming from Rikishi teaming with Vistara against the Holy Stack of Armageddon and Vistara accidentally uh, accidentally hitting Rikishi with a spin kick uh, in a loose term and costing them the victory against the Hollies and so obviously Rikishi now partnered with Tukul against uh, the Hollies and Vistara and to start off with uh, the Tukul are easily working over the Hollies and also it's only when Vistara gets in that things change up and then I thought it was quite funny and that both Cole and Lawler get the worm wrong where uh, I believe Joe Lawler goes, oh, he's setting up for the, the caterpillar. And what I love about Cole is he's so affronted and he looks like he's trying to correct him, like he's so sure of what he's saying. Like, no, King, it's not the caterpillar. It's called the centipede. Like, no, you're both wrong. It's called the worm. <laughs> like the dance, the worm. Like, it, it just goes to show how uncool both guys are. Like and and Michael Cole even has, I think I think it's on this episode he says if you have to tell somebody how cool you are you're not then really you're not cool like Michael Cole what would you know about being cool? Hey Michael Cole's cool. Michael Cole's cool. You can't knock him for that. Is he though? No, no, he's not. <laughs> this guy looks like he almost killed Scotty Too Hotty when he hits him with the moan drop. Of course, Scotty worked over. Until he makes a hot tag to Rikishi. And then Vistara accidentally hits a splash on Hardcore Holly. And then basically doesn't try to help. He just buggers off. As Rikishi hits a Bondi drop onto a Hardcore Holly for the, the one for his team. And then as they've been doing for the last couple of weeks where Rikishi goes to leave. And Grandmaster's also like, no, let's all dance. And then this is the bit where the crowd are at their hottest. And they, they're getting louder and louder with every week. As Rikishi and Tukul dance for the field good ending. You can tell that it's pre full too cool because Kish doesn't have his glasses. He has to wear a pair of ski goggles. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, because it, it's just the reactions were too cool before Rikishi and then within a the week of Rikishi joining them, as soon as they danced with Rikishi, they were at the crowd suddenly were started getting like, oh, like we get it now, and the crowd are kind of on board, even if Michael Cole and JR still talk about too cool as if they're heels. Yeah, I didn't. I don't get that. I don't. How? <laughs> By the way, it's some it, questionable it takes, commentary at this time. It takes CR a while to warm up to too cool. He does eventually. I think part of it is just. I don't think. In, I think in real life, it feels like JR properly did dislike Brian Christopher, and I, and I think it was just hard for him to get over. <laughs> I know, mad. There's just the disdain you can hear. When JR doesn't like somebody, is very hard to disguise. Because isn't Sex A? Oh, sorry, wasn't Sex A um, King's son? Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand how you could hate someone in that respect. Like that, that, that's so, that's close to you, but either way, maybe it was kayfabe hate. Yeah, and also it made sense that JR didn't like them when they debuted. It's too cool. But J.R. Lawler was always hyping up and talking about how great they are. And then, even then, they kept referencing, like, what, what was what was Grandmaster Sixer like growing up, King? How the hell should I know? <laughs> you got to love it and try and protect the business, eh? Mm. Yeah, next up, the WF Tag Team titles are on the line uh, in a no, no, de- no disqualification match as Gerald Briscoe and Pat Patterson, who come out to... Uh, Hulk Hogan's theme song. Okay, I'm, gl- I'm glad I, I'm not the only one that noticed that. I thought that was really weird. <laughs> yeah, I think they've done it before. I think they've done it, like, every time they've actually had a proper match, they came out to that song. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, it's just the Stooges' entrance song. I think, given that also, they used to slag people like Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage for going to WCW and it being the land of the old guys. Given this, given Hulk Hogan's old theme song to two guys who are like ten years older at least than Hulk Hogan was at this point, I think was another kind of shot at Hulk Hogan. No, oh, it makes sense. Although, like the funniest one is that I love that Linda McMahon whenever she shows up, her theme song is the WrestleMania song. But I think one time she came out with the studio to this song, so Linda McMahon, the most like woman who shows less emotion than any member of the McMahon family, slowly walking to the ring to Hulk Hogan's music, one of the most over the top entrance themes of all time. It's just a weird juxtaposition, a weird contrast that is just hard not to laugh at. But, and then obviously the outcome of uh, out was who basically they're not taking it seriously. And then Gerald Briscoe just throws powder in Billy Gunn's eyes. And then Pat Barrison suddenly has a chain. And basically, for the first couple of minutes, the outlaws get their arses kicked by Briscoe and Patterson. You've forgotten the sock as well. Oh, yeah. He's got like a, like a, like a snooker ball or, a, or, or, something, or some sort of ball in a sock, and he's just wailing with it. I think before the match, one of the outlaws makes a reference to the fact that Briscoe is a shooter. Because uh, Briscoe does have a, a legit amateur wrestling background, yeah, and he like locks in a, a submission on Billy Gunn, and you actually think, "Fucking hell, is Billy Gunn, Billy Gunn can actually tap out." I I know, like when they get those that, that double submission, and I was like, that was when I was like, "Holy shit!" Because obviously I didn't know the result because I didn't look ahead. I thought, "No," and then and then yeah, obviously 
they managed to get out of the submission, which I was disappointed by, but personal preference. Yeah, they fight out. Patterson gets taken out on the outside with a pair of brass knuckles, even Briscoe on his own in the ring. And it, this is a weird double team finisher where Road Dog has Patterson kind of, there has Briscoe in the position for, looks like he's about to deliver his usually pump handle slam, but he kind of just holds him there, allowing Billy Gunn to hit the famous sir on Briscoe. And then they pin Briscoe to retain the titles. And what's weird here is, again, the crowd clearly don't get your amount of hate they was here and that they pit, they just beaten up these two old men and then as soon as the bell goes, they, you hear the all arena, oh, you did know? Like, what? No, stop cheering for these men. You're meant to hate them. They're about to wail on two fucking old dudes. Stop it. <laughs> I know. Like, that's the thing in 1999. Yay, fuck those old guys. <laughs> <laughs> Ah. <laughs> Poor person in Presco. It's true though. It is literally yeah. fuck those old guys. It is. Anyway, on to The Rock versus The Big Show for the WF Championship. And then Triple H comes out to uh, with Stephanie and they sit on this lazy boy kind of couch just sitting there getting a closer look at the match. Oh, and, and something I should make a note of over the next couple of episodes, add on Raw as well. Uh, Stephanie and Trouble H keep coming out either individually or in segments together when they keep coming out to announce, oh by the way this match is now this or now you're going to go one on one with this person which means now like 20 times a show we have to listen to my time which is Triple H's worst theme song in my opinion by far I don't know your thoughts <laughs> I don't mind it I don't mind it because it's my time's one of those. It's got like the weird kind of like guitar at the start, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it's like the wow, 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 wow. I like that. I, I wish I didn't. Like, it's a weird one. It's a weird one. I do like it. I, yeah. Uh, Triple, Triple H has had some banger themes. My time, I like. Evolution. Classic. Mm hmm. Um, King of Kings, bow down to the king, banger. The game, banger. I mean, I mean, when you talk about like, when you like uh, break up what the best and worst theme songs of all time are, top tier, the game is up there as one of the best. I think I've that's been his theme song for me for as long as I can remember. So then seeing like from the, the proper motorhead like metal song that used to come out to. Then just hearing this, wah, 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 like, oh, shut up. It fits, with, it fits with the musical style at the time, though, that kind of like grungy sort of like, new rock just, sort of thing. I, I'm pretty sure it's like the DX band that, that sang it. And like the guy said, hey, Jimmy hit me with that Triple H. I'm pretty sure that's a reference to Jim Johnson. And like, but then but compared to the game, I think it's just horrible. And then having to hear it every show, and like I keep watching. Like usually, I like watch a bit of SmackDown after I finish the episode of Raw, or I'll, I'll watch some episodes in like close proximity to each other. So I hear this song so many times. I walk around for the next couple of days after every time I watch an episode of SmackDown with that song in my head, and I find myself singing it, and I hate myself for it. Honestly, <laughs> like. You, you going back to what you're saying about the about um, the the classic Triple H theme. 
um obviously i know you being a massive icw fan do, did you know that like the at the cardiff show when triple h came out at icw i was front row for that that ringside i did, I did not know that no uh, so if you go back and what if you look at that footage you see you you can only see the back of my head i don't know if there's any footage in my face but when he came out at Tramshed in cardiff i am front row of that like <laughs> ringside and honestly i get what you mean about that that theme just i lost my friggin mind dude so i i fully understand what you're saying about that theme what's funny is that every icw show they put four or five different icw shows on the network so far uh, and i've been i just realized i've been at every one of them i mean i love do they, that do the episodes of fake club are from the same tape and so always so that makes sense but like and i remember i've only actually seen triple h alive once as a wrestler and it's like when he filled in for Roman, when he first remembered the Shield. And I remember I wasn't even going to go to the show until like a week before I heard, oh, Triple H is going to be there. Right, cause there's my ticket spot. Was that, um, was that taping? And no, that was 2017. It was just a live event, but like... Oh, house um, show. Roman, yeah, it was a house show, but like Roman, like, got... I, I know that. Else. Do you know what? I, w- I was I No, I, I went to the 2016 tour. Where Taker was advertised and he pulled. Well, I hate it. like I remember twenty sixteen. That's when the Raw and SmackDown were in Glasgow, and I went to them. But like at least three or four times, both as part of the show and like in between, like stuff being taped, they kept advertising the thing for the nine hundred episode of SmackDown that was next week, where Edge and Taker would appear. So basically, like, welcome, yeah, you finally got SmackDown in Glasgow. But guess what? When we go back to America, the big stars are coming. That's yeah. Reason of what you should have got. I know, mate. I know. Yeah, there we go. I've just you know, got completely off topic here, but talking about house shows, I just found the card from when I went. Um, yeah, then the headline was Reigns and Sheamus. Uh, I've been to a, a, a show headlined by that as well. It probably it probably was the same tour, mate. Probably. I literally during the match, me and my brother, we had there weren't anybody behind us. We were on the floor. There was no one behind us in our row, so we literally stood up behind the seat behind our seats with our jackets on for the last 10 minutes of the show. As soon as Roman got the win, we fucked off. <laughs> uh, I mean, that was the first WWE live event I went to. And then the second one I went to was in Blackpool for the first night of the UK Championship Tournament. Nice. That, that was insane. And I'm proud to say you can see my beautiful face all over the WWE network. Nine times out of ten when they promote NXT UK, you see my face. <laughs> I remember going to Blackpool for... Uh, the first takeover in 2019. I remember. Oh, I, to, oh, of course, I remember you went to that actually. Yeah, I think I mentioned it at the time because I wrote a bit about it. Yeah, I remember. And I remember talking about Triple H. He came out after the thing officially went off air. Kind of thanked the live crowd for coming along. Means it's a great crowd. But we'd already started walking out, so we walked up the first little bit of stairs. But we can still hear stuff that's going inside inside the So then we hear the the dun dun the start of game, and we were like, I look at each other, and we leg it back like Triple H is here. <laughs> like, like, also he didn't say much. All he did say was say thank you. But like the idea, of, like Triple H, like you hear the that music, you're like he's here. Honestly, like going back to the ICW show, we were all queued up, and that was the the ICW show was the same day as they were running a house show in Cardiff. I mean, so yeah. at the at the Millennium uh, or whatever. It, no, it wouldn't have been. Wouldn't have been the Millennium Stadium. I don't know where it was, but it was literally like a stone throw away. And there was all this talk of they're going to bring some of the UK guys in. And then, and then I, I said, "What if Trips is here?" Mm-hmm. 
and everyone's like, nah, don't be fucking stupid. Don't be stupid. I was like, where trips is here? And on my, um, I'm sure I've still got the footage and I, you hear me on the footage where I'm recording saying, I fucking told you. <laughs> I, uh, I remember, I think it was Mark Dallas was on a cultaholic thing talking about that show. And he said, uh, it was kind of a makeup thing of Pete Dunne and Triple H coming out because, some of the guys that were maybe on that show couldn't make it because they got tryouts because the baby was in town, so they had to be kind of pulled to the show. So it was kind of a, a kind of a courtesy thing to ICW to have Triple H in that show. And he thought to be Mark Dallas thought to be his business part like Duncan. He's like Duncan doesn't like stuff being like asked asked to do stuff last minute. But then I said to him like, mate, can you get me like for the download the music so that people can use their interest like, I've listened to that I've I've listened to that interview uh, I know exactly which one you're talking about yeah and he was like, like just get me get me the music yeah, get me the music for Triple H he's kind of like oh, like mate tri- fucking Triple H is coming in here fucking get the song insane <laughs> either way we've completely digressed yeah we've we've veered off wildly but we'll get back to it but but that's what people listen to Rogue Pains for half the time because we we've We've, we do this all the time. Exactly, mate, exactly. But yeah, so the the match, the Patterson, the Patterson-Briscoe match was great. I enjoyed it. They, they, there was that hope spot where you thought, holy shit, they might do it. Obviously not. And yeah, it was, apart from that, fairly standard fair. I enjoyed it. So then, when Triple H and Stephanie came out, uh, they announced that this match is now a lumberjack match in the Rocket yeah. Picture. And the Lumberjacks officers here are the New Age Outlaws, Albert, Midian, the Dudley Boys, Kurt Angle, the Mean Street Posse, Al Snow, Gangrel, and the Hollies. All the heels. You love to see it. I mean, the, oh, the match... Is there as well. Oh, of course he is. Oh, yeah, Visser is important because I've made a note about Big Viss. I think I've made the exact same note you have, probably. I know, I know exactly what note you've got because, yeah, yeah. But, so I, I, I messaged you this. The match starts and show was in a t-shirt and I thought this is probably the period of time where show was out of shape and he was covering up and I thought okay fair enough and literally as I typed those notes I've written maybe I'm wrong kip up and then a sick looking drop kick and I'm like what the fuck yeah because I think we used to think about it prior to Big Show doing that posting that photo a few years ago where he had abs yeah he shredded this is probably the best shape at this point he's ever probably been in. I don't uh, get why he was covered up, though. Well, it's better than what he had when he was just wearing a pair of regular trunks for... Oh, yeah, wearing a big, big frig, friggin' thong like he was against Aki Bono. <laughs> Jesus, that's, that haunts me. As good as, as good as shape as Big Show was in, the studs follow that trope you expect from a lumberjack match. It's been set up by a heel and mostly heels on the outside where... Whenever the rock goes to the outside or wherever the big show goes to the outside, it's a case of, oh, the lumberjacks. Why are they? Why on earth are they ever attacking him? They're meant to be throwing him back in the ring. And they, yeah, they're just battering him because obviously Rock got thrown out first, and they wailed on him, and then Show went out, and I was like, okay, they're just going to throw him back in. And they showed a bit of favoritism here. No, 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 they didn't care. They just battered them both. The bit where DX get up on the apron and the Rock knocks them off, and Big Show is so inept as champion he can't even take advantage because then the rock immediately takes back control after he's dealt with dx yeah the hits hits a rock bottom and then it gets broken and then that pin gets broken up by the lumberjacks and then like yeah, show that and then show hits the choke slam 
DX pull him out of the ring. It's just like, it felt clustered to me. I think there are points where both men had the match won, but the Lumberjacks get involved. It's a case of let them both take each other out, also let the Lumberjacks beat them down and kind of soften them up. And part of me is thinking, like, Triple H, you're up there. You you want a WWE title shot. You've got a shot at the title. Uh, as a res- you put that in the contract. If you beat Vince, you got another WWE title shot. And so I'm wondering why didn't he enter himself in this match? But then I think it comes out next week and the rest and next week's Wrestling Observer in '99 that Triple H is dealing with a minor injury at the time. Yeah, uh, he will face fight get a title shot. I think the first draw of 2000 is when he officially takes the title back. But he's just taking the next couple of weeks off because due to a minor injury, I think. There's another wrestler who gets injured next week. So when Meltzer is reporting about them getting injured, he also mentions Triple H, but I'll talk more about that in our next episode. Yeah. But, but like, I remember hearing about that and thinking, like, okay, that makes more sense because you'd think if Triple H was healthy and he had that title shot and now he's mm. in charge of the show. Why not just like, insert yourself into a match? Yeah, yeah I mean, if you could just insert yourself into the match later on. Like, when they're both down, just say, I am now in this match. This is now a triple threat. Like, kind of similar to the way you could cash in a money in the bank. Just go, yeah, fuck it, I'm in charge, I'll do what I want. Yeah. If you just made a triple threat, and also because of the triple threat, there's no DQ, and then bring out all these guys that you had in the ring to beat down Rock and Big Show, and then just pin whoever is most vulnerable. Exactly. Then, obviously, it doesn't really get a clear winner. It's basically a no contest. as the Rock and Big Show brawl with the, uh, the Lumberjacks, and then, like, some Mankind comes down. He'll be in the odds, and then he was, he's got a bunch of weapons that they use to fend off the Lumberjacks. And uh, you want to mention it first, the, uh, the thing with Rock and Vis- Right, okay. We know that Viss is a big guy. Mm-hmm. He's a big, chunky boy. <laughs> Rock hit the rock bottom to Big Show earlier in this match. Mm-hmm. I don't know the weight differentials between Viss and Show, but I wouldn't imagine they're too dissimilar. They were both kind of like, what, four or five hundred pounds, something like that. But Big Show, the big, the rock bottom that Big Show took was clean for, for a big man. You'd expect a, a normal-sized guy to take it a lot better. Fine, I've got no issues with that. But the rock bottom that Viscera took, oh, my God. It is the worst rock bottom I think I've ever seen. He barely gets a foot off the ground. Mm-hmm. And, and Rock just has to fall on top of him. I'm like, that was horrendous. Yeah, you get some elevation for taking the rock bottom there. For those who didn't watch this episode, uh, see the Undertaker choke slamming Hulk Hogan in O2. That's a similar like comparison here and how little off the ground Viscera gets. Like I even put here, worst rock bottom ever on Viscera. Yeah, awful. Absolutely awful. So, but that was, that was kind of your, your closing moment, apart from... Triple H looking very angry on the top of the ramp and it being a, a no contest. That was that was how it went off the air. You expect like the faces to go after Triple H or Triple H to come down and get into a fight with the rock. But uh, no, but, no but, nothing. Yeah, but then you knowing now that Triple H was dealing with an injury, uh, then that probably explains why that didn't happen. But it does make it like obviously then uh, Stephanie and Triple H ran everything on Raw and on SmackDown. But this is the first example since then of uh, them kind of being outsmarted by the faces and that the faces thought, fuck it, let's just team up and take out all these guys who've sent after this. And Triple H and Stephanie looking angry that their plans kind of backfired. 
Yeah, I mean, it was... It's just kind of... is what it is for the time. Yeah, I'm sure maybe after the show, they had, like, Rock, Big Show, and Mankind team up in some sort of dark match, maybe against DX. But as for the actual TV version, it was kind of a feel-good ending because, like, The Rock was standing tall and The Rock is pretty much the guy at this point. But that is the December 16th, 1999 edition of SmackDown. Uh, Mike, I'm going to ask you your rating for this episode, whether it be a thumbs up, middle or down. And is there one moment or match in this episode of SmackDown that you would recommend people actually go back and watch? I'd give it a thumbs middle, if I'm being honest. I mean, there were were good bits and there were bad bits overall. If I was going to be honest, the match to seek out of this is going to be the Hardy Boys match, Jeff versus Matt. That was, from a wrestling standpoint, that was the best match on the card for me. Mm -hmm. Um, If we're talking kind of enjoyment slash fun... I probably go, I probably watched the Al Snow McFoley match, just because I if if you're a fan of hardcore wrestling like I am, you're gonna you're you're gonna enjoy that. And then the little switch at the end with Rock coming out of the so say DX dress room was brilliant. Uh-huh. But for me, it's an important episode because it's the start of the McMahon Helms era. It's big in that respect, but it felt very, very forced and disjointed in places just by. Um, trips and Steph inserting themselves into everything and I know why they did it but again it just a, a lot of times it felt really shoehorned in and felt unnecessary but yeah I'd give it a thumbs middle personally yeah there's definitely a Triple H involvement and a lot of segments is something we're going to definitely have to get used to uh, no forward. definitely I think uh, a thumbs up is kind of what I'm giving it because yeah there is some filler there but overall it's a strong episode of, of Smackdown Especially because leaning up to Armageddon, we had some really filler, filler episodes. So by comparison, for me, uh, it's it's much better in that regard. Some stuff is actually happening on the show. And weirdly, if I had to recommend it, I think the thing above the those two matches you said, even though they're probably highlights of the show for me as well, I'd actually say, even for sure as it is, I'd say uh, Briscoe and Patterson versus the Outlaws because that is better than it probably has any right to be considering how long it's been since Patterson and wrestled a proper match, but they filled it with enough shenanigans that it made it one of the most entertaining parts of the show. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that hope spot was... They, it had, I'd, I'd bet on that hope spot. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, there's that little party that actually hopes that even though nowadays you'd probably be people would probably be outraged to someone of Paris and Briscoe's age winning the titles. In 1989, it was what we all wanted to see. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So that is going to do it here for SmackDown. Uh, Mike, uh, if you wanted to wait, can I keep up with what you, anything you've got going on or wanted to follow you, where are you at on? Oh, um, you can, I am still tweeting from the, uh, the Wrestling Blogs account. I don't tweet about wrestling anymore at all. Uh, but yeah it's at wrestling blogs on twitter if you ever want to dm me or chat about wrestling feel free um but apart from that um i I mean just i'm just generally just i'm quite a casual wrestling watcher now but yeah it's it's been nice to kind of go back watch two old episodes of smackdown that i hadn't seen for a long time slash hadn't seen and just kind of really get back into it so yeah i really really appreciate it bud 
Well, it's very good having you on. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about the December 23rd episode of SmackDown. So, uh, a, a Christmas edition of SmackDown. We'll see you Bring that it on. <laughs> but you can remember to follow me at Scott McLeod1996. You can follow Rogue Pines at Rogue underscore Pines on Twitter and Instagram. You can check back to the archives, the, uh, the Cinematic Wrestling Matches Tournament is up now. And I think we've got we've got uh, some quizzes in our back catalogue. We've got one coming out very soon. We've got the Banter Munich podcast, all the, your football coverage is there. I don't particularly partake, but they seem to be uploading fairly regularly. But uh, so much is going on here at Rogue Opinions. We'll be back next week with the next episode of the Ritro Smackdown Review. And until next time, we'll just say bye-bye. Bye. One cell, the sign. Yo, Jimmy hit me with that triple H. Yeah.